0: So the story of the 2002 Oakland Athletics baseball team is a great one that you may have heard. After the 2001 season, the Athletics lost their three best players to other teams who could afford to pay them more money. And so Billy Bean, the general manager of the Athletics, was getting tired of training up his players, investing into them just to lose them to these bigger teams. And so he devised a new strategy that has changed the game of baseball. You see, rather than trying to get a team with a few superstars who would eventually leave, he decided to build a team where the players specialized in their positions and abilities. And so he signed no superstars in free agency. He traded for no big home run hitters or strikeout leaders. Instead, he sought after guys who were able to get runs, and get outs in their respective positions. And the team's salary for that year was $40 million, which might seem like a lot, but when you compare it to the Yankees, who were $125 million, and the Red Sox, who were $115 million, you can see that what the Athletics were working with was, was a lot less than the other teams. And yet, it was the Oakland Athletics who posted the best record in the American League that season. It was the Oakland Athletics who broke the record for the longest winning streak with 20 straight games that season. It was the Oakland Athletics who had one of the most historic seasons uh, in all of baseball. You see, Billy Bean showed the world that for a baseball team to flourish, you didn't need a lot of money and you didn't need a lot of superstars. What you needed were players who could play their different positions and play them well. Now, this is a wonderful story, but that is not all. It is actually, I think, a picture of what we see in the church. See, in order for the church to flourish, the church doesn't need a bunch of home run hitters. It doesn't need a team with the best pitchers. What the church needs is members of the body who come together with different skills and different passions and different gifts And then use them all for the same purpose, the glory of God and the good of the church. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about our sixth mark of a healthy church. And that is that a healthy church exercises the gifts of the Spirit. A healthy church exercises the gifts of the Spirit. Now, the gifts of the Spirit is a topic that a lot of debate happens around in the Christian world today. See, ever since the rise of Pentecostalism in the early 20th century, the topic has been really front and center in Christian circles. The fastest growing Christian church is the Pentecostal church, and so it's really a topic of much discussion and debate. Conferences have been hosted by both sides of the debate. Thousands of books have been written by both sides, and both sides, unfortunately, have called... The other side, non Christians, far too often. And that's because it is a topic of much passion. It's a topic of much passion because it's a topic, I think, really, of much importance. See, we are commanded to exercise the gifts of the Spirit, but what, and and everybody agrees on that, but what does that all entail? You know, what is even meant by the gifts of the Spirit. And which gifts are we called to exercise? Have some of them ceased? And if so, which ones? And then how do I know which one I am to pursue? Should we all pursue the same one? And if I'm not possessing one, does that mean I'm not a Christian? All of these questions arise out of this idea, this topic, this doctrine of the gifts of the Spirit. And many people have many different answers to them. Well, this morning we don't have time to delve into all that the Bible has to say on the gifts, but we will try to answer some of those foundational questions. We're going to do so by looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians and his teaching on the gifts in chapter 12. And Lord willing, after looking at it, we as a church will become more aligned both in knowledge and in practice with what the Word teaches on the spiritual gifts. And so if you're not already there, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you don't have uh, a Bible with you and you would like a Bible, uh, there's some up uh, on the table there. And if you don't have one uh, at your home, uh, a Bible there is a gift to you uh, from us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read the whole passage for us this morning. Now... Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, for you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the Spirit of God, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members— and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink one spirit. For if the body does not consi- for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. There are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor, and our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require." second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. So this morning's sermon is going to follow Paul's teaching. It's really going to be divided uh, into two main parts and then a third part of application. So first we're going to look at the question, what are the spiritual gifts? Paul's going to deal with first, he's going to talk about their source, he's going to talk about their variety, and he's going to talk about their purpose. And then second, we're going to look at how the church then should view the gifts in light of what they are, how should we as Christians view the gifts? And then third, uh, we'll look at some practical applications for our church today in the 21st century. And so first, what are the spiritual gifts? Well, Paul says in the opening verse of our passage, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And Paul, if you've read through 1 Corinthians, you'll notice that he likes this little phrase, now concerning. Because what he's doing is he's, he's dealing with certain things that are happening, usually uh, unfortunate things that are happening in the church at Corinth. He used it back in chapter 7, uh, where he talks about marriage and remarriage, he's, he, and, and sorry, and singleness. He used it back in chapter 8, when he talks about offering eating food that's been offered up to idols. He talks about it in chapter 16, when he's Dealing with the collection that's for the saints, and he uses it here as well in chapter 12 when he says, Now concerning the spiritual gifts. And that's because throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, we see that the Corinthians they have a slightly warped view of the spiritual gifts. See, so they were alienating or sorry, elevating one gift above another, likely the gift of tongues, based on what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. And they were elevating it to the point that they were alienating their fellow Christians who didn't have that gift within the congregation. They're making them feel less spiritual and less needed because they couldn't speak in tongues. And so that's really why Paul is writing here. He wants to clarify a few things for them regarding the spiritual gifts. And specifically answers the question, well, what are the spiritual gifts? And this is what we're going to spend our time on Packing, And the definition, I think, that we get from Paul's teaching is this, that the spiritual gifts are a variety of abilities and actions that are empowered by the Holy Spirit and used for ministering, serving, and building up the church. Let's say that definition again. The spiritual gifts are a variety of abilities and actions that are empowered by the Holy Spirit And used for ministering, serving, and building up the church. And so we see that this definition has really three components to it. It's got the source of the gifts, it's got the variety of gifts, and it has the purpose of the gifts. So let's look at each of those. First, the source of the gifts. Look in your Bibles at verse 4 to 6. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services but the same lord and there are varieties of activities but it is the same god who empowers them all in everyone so we see that no matter the gift there is only one source and that source is the trinitarian god we saw in verses in those verses each member of the trinity is mentioned the same spirit the same Lord, which is the most common title used for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same God, which is the title most commonly used for the Father. And so we see that it is the Trinitarian God who is the one, who is the source of the gifts of the Spirit. And specifically, the triune God acting via the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in believers. See, one of the greatest gifts of salvation is that we is that is that when we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ the holy spirit of god dwells within us now this is the same spirit who in genesis chapter 1 hovered over the waters the agent of creation this is the same spirit who empowered the judges and the prophets and the kings this is the same spirit who guided the writing of every book of the bible that we now hold in our hands that same Spirit dwells within us the very moment that we are born again. And he dwells within us not to simply sanctify us, to convict us, to teach us, and to comfort us, but also to empower us for the work of the ministry. See, the Spirit is is given to us that we may have the power to fulfill the purpose of God for the church. You see, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I want you to go and do these things and then say, okay, I'll wash my hands with you. You're you're on your own now. No, he gives us the mission, but he also gives us the means to accomplish the mission, which is the empowering of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the Spirit. And so the the source of the gifts is the Spirit then. It's a, a supernatural source, God himself, through the third person of the Trinity. Now, the next thing we see is that even though the source is the same, it's the same Spirit within all of us, there is a variety of gifts that come from this one source. Look at verses 8 to 11. For to one, is given through, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit and to another, working of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit. You see, it's called the, the gifts, plural, of the Spirit, and not the gift of the Spirit. And that's because there are various gifts that are given to the people of God. Not all Christians are going to express all of the gifts. And even those who may express the same gift as another in the congregation, they may express them to different varieties and different strengths. Verse 11 says that the Spirit apportions to each one individually as He wills. And so the point then is that there is meant to be a variety of gifts. God is not a a cookie cutter God. God's not a God doesn't have a, a factory line assembling us when we were Christians where we all come out I- exactly the same way. You know, we come out differently with different end products expressing different gifts that are given by the Spirit. And I think sometimes in our, our minds we can boil down the gifts to just a, a few and, elim- and eliminate this variety. You know, If someone is a, is a good teacher, we'll often say, wow. That person has the gift of teaching. But then if someone's a good administrator, we often don't say, wow, that person has the gift of administrating. It's because we can forget in our minds that there is a variety of gifts. It's not just the very loud and prevalent gifts. There's a variety that God has given. And so let me read for you all of of the gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament so you can get an understanding of this Variety, And maybe you can get an understanding of perhaps the area that the Spirit has gifted you in. And this comes from our passage, but also from, there's a list in Romans 12 and there's a list in Ephesians 4.11. And so here they are. There's a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, which I'm not exactly sure what the difference is between those. Uh, There's faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, an apostle, a teacher, helping, administration, serving, encouraging, generosity, leadership, mercy, evangelism, and shepherding. And so we see that it's it's quite a long list that of gifts that the Spirit uses us. And I'm not even sure if that's an exhaustive list. Um, you see, when He gives the list. Not every gift is mentioned in every list that he gives. And so there may even be more that the Spirit empowers uh, people to do for the building up of the church. And so Paul is essentially then saying to the Corinthians that you might be speaking in tongues or prophesying, but that's not the only gift. Your brother or your sister over there who's maybe waiting on tables or visiting the orphans or continuing in, in prayers of faith for the sick of the church, they also possess The gifts of the same Spirit. There's a variety of gifts that have been given. And so now we know the source of the gifts, which is the Holy Spirit. We know that uh, even though it is the same Spirit, He gives a variety of gifts. But then we ask ourselves, for what reason? You know, why does God give His church the gifts? Why does He empower us with the gifts? And we see that in verse 7. Verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. And this is similar to what Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 14 when he says, When you you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be, be done for building up. And then Peter again when talking about the gifts says in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so we see that the reason God gives the church the gifts is for the building up of the church. For serving one another and for the common good of the people of God. And so if you've been empowered by the Spirit with a gift. And if you are a Christian and you you, you have been empowered by the Spirit, then that gift is properly used only for the building up of the church and serving those around you, except maybe with the exception of one uh, gift. See, your gift was not given for you alone, but for others to share in and enjoy the blessing of. And that's what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 14. He says, do not neglect the gift that you have that has been given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid hands on you. Is Paul saying that so you know, he can boast in Timothy for being such a great preacher? Is Paul saying that you know, so Timothy can boast in himself for being a great preacher? No, Paul is saying that so that Timothy will exercise his gift and the congregation will reap the benefits of that. Exercising gifts is for the good of others. Now, there's an objection I quickly want to raise. See, on the debate regarding the gifts, there's really two sides. And within those two sides, there's kind of subgroups within it. Now, The one side says that all of the gifts, except for apostleship, continue to be manifested in the church today. And these people are called continuationists because they believe that the gifts continue on. The other side of the debate says that though many gifts are still seen today in the church, certain gifts such as miracles or healing or prophecy or tongues, they've ceased with the age of the apostles. Essentially, once the the canon of Scripture was formed, certain gifts were no longer required for the church. And these people are called cessationists because they believe that some of the gifts have ceased. And the objection to this comes from the side of the cessationists. They may argue that though the purpose of the gifts is for the building of the church, the purpose of certain gifts like miracles or prophecy or healing were for laying the foundation of the church, testifying to the truthfulness of the gospel and its power, and this was accomplished in the time of the apostles. Ephesians 2 verse 20 says that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so the argument then is that the foundation of the church has already been laid. And that it was laid through the use of certain gifts that now, because it's being laid, they're no longer active. Especially now that we have the complete and final word of God. We don't need to keep laying foundation on, on top of foundation. And now it is true that God testified to the truthfulness of the gospel, especially through the resurrection and through signs and wonders. And it is true that the apostles and prophets of the early church laid the foundation of the church. I don't disagree with that. But where I think the the argument struggles is that just because those two things are true, it doesn't follow that the gifts therefore have ceased. And the reason is because the gifts have multiple purposes. Scripture gives the gifts multiple purposes. So when one is fulfilled, it doesn't mean that the gifts are no longer active. It just means that that purpose of the gift is no longer the purpose for which we use it. We don't relay the foundation of the gospel again when we exercise the gifts of the Spirit. But we do see that there are other purposes laid out for us like here in 1 Corinthians Verse 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so then looking back at our question, you know, what are the spiritual gifts? I think Paul has sufficiently answered the question. The spiritual gifts are a variety of abilities and actions laid out for us in Scripture that are empowered by the Holy Spirit and used for ministering, serving, and building up the church. Okay, so now there's the first part. We know what the gifts are, and we can move on to our second question, and this is where we're going to get a little bit more practical. How should the church view the gifts? How should we think about it in light of that is, that is what the spiritual gifts are? What do we do in response to the fact that God has given us these as the people of God? Well, first Paul tells us that we should seek unity not through uniformity in gifts, but through diversity in gifts. Now, this is often the opposite of the way that we think. We tend to associate or congregate with people who are like us and who are gifted in the same things as us. You know, We tend to seek unity not through diversity, but through uniformity. You know, by all having the same thoughts and, and, and the same Mind not disagreeing with anyone on anything. But we see here that Paul says that true unity actually comes through diversity. And we see this kind of scattered throughout verses 14 to 20. You know, Paul says, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. That's verse 20. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And up in verse 14, it says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Verse 17, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? See, Paul here is arguing that the church of God, it's not made up of only one member or one spiritual gift. If it was, it would, it would not actually be a full and complete and unified body. If everybody were the mouth, well, you don't have a body. You just have a collection of mouths. If everyone in the body were the hands and feet, you wouldn't have a body. You'd just have a collection of hands and feet. So for a church to be a healthy church, it requires a variety in the expression of the gifts. The collective unity of the body is accomplished then, not through uniformity, everyone being the same and looking the same and having the same gifts, but through diversity. And that's one of the problems with some modern Christianity that says, I don't need the church. You know, I can be a Christian and I can read my Bible and I can be led by the Spirit in my own life. I don't need to come together with the church. And that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if you are a Christian, you become a member of the body. Otherwise, you're just a mouth, or you're just hands, or you're just an ear. The church is a collection of people with different gifts given by the Spirit to form one whole and complete church. It's like a hockey team. You know, I could have all the best players in the league on my team, but if they're all centers or all defensemen or all goalies— it won't be the best team. The best team will be the team that has the players who are are specialized, who have different skills in the game of hockey and function in their roles. And there's a few reasons why God has set it up this way. God has designed the church intentionally this way. First, it allows for all the needs of the church to be met. You see, a church that only has teachers— may focus too much on teaching, doctrine, and instructing to the point that they fail to care for and serve the widows and the needy in the church. Or a church that focuses too much on the gift of generosity and giving to the church may have lots of money to give towards the kingdom of God, but if there's no gifts of discernment within the church, they may squander that money on useless endeavors. See, having this variety of, of gifts, therefore, allows not only the the church to flourish the most, but also all of the needs to be properly and biblically met in the church. It allows for the church to fulfill all the areas of ministry that the Lord Jesus has given us here on this earth. And then a second reason God sets it up this way is because having a diversity of gifts causes the church to rely and depend on one another. That's why Paul says later in verse 26, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, in the 21st century context, this idea of depending on one another is not something we really like to do. Even in church, individualism is, is very prevalent. We enjoy the company of fellow believers, but we don't actually need them. But that's just not true. God has woven diversity into the church so that if any part is being neglected or is absent, there is going to be a lacking in your own ministry and in the ministry of the church. You can't walk the Christian life on your own in the way that Jesus has called you to. It's just that simple. You need other believers in your life. And then you need to think to yourself, you don't just need other believers that are like you, that are gifted like you, but you need a variety of believers, even the ones you don't have that much commonality with, because it's in that diversity that the unity of the church functions and is formed. That's why it's important that when you come here on Sunday morning, and I challenge you guys to do this, don't just come every Sunday and talk to the same one or two families, you know, Go and, 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 and talk and, and serve with and, and learn about other members in this church that you might grow yourself as a Christian. You need them. So now on a, a similar note, a second thing that we need to understand as a church about the gifts is that no gift should be looked down upon and no gift should be elevated too high. Look at verse 21 to 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. but that the members may have the same care for one another. See, Paul here, he's, he's now dealing with those in the church who are elevating the gift of tongues. But this argument can apply to any gift in the church. We shouldn't elevate one gift too highly that we begin to despise or look down upon those who have other gifts. When we do that, it creates a warped or inflated body. It's like one of those, I don't know if you've ever been to this, like a, a house of mirrors. You go in and you stand there in the mirror and your head is massive, but your body's really tiny and skinny. Or your eyes are, are bulging out of your head and the rest of your features are really small. That's what happens when the church begins, that's, that's what we look like when we begin to elevate certain gifts at the expense of others. See, so there's, no, there's no ranks of Christian based on the gifts that we have. I, as a as a pastor in this church, I'm not more spiritually enlightened than the rest of you because I think at least I have the gift of teaching. I'm simply a member of the body, just as we all are. And if my gift is, is elevated above that of other gifts in ministry, we just become a church with a, a big, oversized, inflated mouth. See, no gift is, is more essential than any other gift. And that's Paul's argument in the next chapter, in 1 Corinthians 13, he, he talks about how all of the gifts, it doesn't really matter which gift you have. What matters is that are you expressing that gift in love? Paul says that, that your gift, you could be doing all of these wondrous things, the power of God seen. But if you have love, if you, if you don't have love, you're nothing. What matters is not so much the gift, but the, the purpose for which we use the gift, and the attitude of love in which we use it. And so, now the final point under how the church should view the gifts is that we should seek and desire them. Look at verses twenty-seven to thirty-one. Now, if you are the body of Christ, and in, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And So Paul says here that we should earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now some think, that higher gifts means the miraculous gifts. Gifts like you know, tongues, prophecy, miracles, and healing. But I think that's an assumption that's brought on the text and not out of the text itself. See, in Paul's mind, when we read his, his argument collectively, taking 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 all together, we see that Paul views the higher gifts simply as those gifts that build up the church more and are more for the benefit of others. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 prefers prophecy over the gift of tongues. Because prophecy at that time in the church was more beneficial for the building up of the people of God. But this may be different depending on the context of the church. If the church is in a season where it needs the gift of evangelism, then seek the gift of evangelism. That is the higher gift. If the church is in a season when it's lacking teachers or wisdom or knowledge, then seek the gifts of teaching or wisdom or knowledge. That is seeking the higher gifts. And your motivation in, in seeking them must be pure. See, is your motivation to elevate self, to get more attention, to get more gratitude from your fellow believers? Or is your motivation, what Paul says it is, the building up of the church. God has given us the gifts of the Spirit to bless others. And it's only then will we receive joy in seeking the gifts of the Spirit. And it will be with joy that we then use the gifts of the Spirit to grow in communion and service for our fellow believers and our Lord. And I want to get to some final points then of application for for our church, for Evergreen Chapel. See, part of the reason that we're doing this series on a marks of a healthy church is so that we can look at the Word, examine it, and then reorient ourselves as a church according to the direction and vision that has been laid out for us in, in the acts of the apostles and in the epistles that have been given. And so how then do we do we become a church that is, is marked by what we see in Scripture regarding the gifts of the Spirit? Well, first, I want to admit that, that I am by no means an expert on this topic. You know, For much of my Christian life, I've not placed much value on this idea of spiritual gifts. And the main reason for that was because I've seen a tremendous abuse, a tremendous abuse of many of the gifts of the Spirit, especially the, the miraculous gifts. But after studying Scripture on this issue, working my way through the Word, I'm convinced that even though many of many people will abuse the gifts, that they are still for the building up of the church today. You know, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't throw out the, the baby with the, the yucky bathwater. You know, just because there's there's counterfeit money out there in the world. It doesn't mean we should go and burn all the money that we have. We're still called to pursue all of the gifts, even though others may be doing this improperly. Because when we don't, I think, I think we're missing out on God's plan and purpose for the church. See, the gifts are given exactly as they're called, as a gift to the church. And so we seek them both out of necessity to fulfill the mission of God, but also out of a desire to enjoy our Lord and his church more and more. Now I know that some of you are going to disagree with me on this, and that's totally fine. You know, I disagreed with my current view just a few years ago, and we can still partner in ministry to the glory of God in the building of his church because we're all still called to pursue the gifts as Christians. It's just my list is going to be a little bit longer than your list. And you don't have to fear. Another thing is, I don't want you to fear that Evergreen is going to turn into one of those, you know, crazy charismatic churches that we see on TV. You have people rolling around uh, on the floor. You have people like making animal sounds. You have people being slain in the spirit. People talking all of this gibberish and claiming that it's the gifts of tongues. You know, when we seek the gifts, we seek it within the bounds of God's word and according to how God's word has laid it out, which is to be done in order and with reverence and according to his word. And so then, if you're like me and this is somewhat new to you, where do we start as a church with seeking the gifts? You know, how do we move from being theological continuationists to practical continuationists? Well, first, and this is essential, we need to ask God. We need to ask God to give us the gifts. See, God delights in giving his children good gifts. He wants to see his church built up and equipped for the work of the ministry. And so, We ask him, and and if it is his will, if it is to accomplish his purpose, why would God not give them to us? He he delights in giving good gifts to his children. So then, kind of the first challenge for us, for you, for me, is that we need to spend time praying and fasting, asking the Lord to give us wisdom and to fill us with the variety of the gifts of the Spirit. You might think to yourself, Okay, well, what do I ask God for? You know, do I just close my eyes and pick a random gift off the list and start praying for that one? Do I ask for all of them? What, what am I actually asking for? And I think what, what, what we've seen from this passage is that gifts are for the building of the church. And so what you need to ask yourself is what does the church need right now to be built up? You know, do we need more teachers? I think so. Do we need more evangelists? I think so. Do we need more generosity? Do we need more men and women of faith? Do we need more prophetic voices in the church and in the culture? What does the church need now? I think that's where we can start by seeking those gifts in our life. And one thing you can also do is ask others. As well, what areas they think you may be gifted in. Sometimes we're unable to see our gifts as well as others are. Maybe then someone else can speak wisdom into your life and say, hey, I think that the Spirit has gifted you in leadership, or I think that the Spirit has gifted you in faith or in serving. The people of God help the people of God discover and practice their gifts. And then... What you do is you take advantage of, of opportunities to practice those gifts. You know, pursue different avenues of ministry and see if the Lord blesses that pursuit. That's what, that's what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. He says, do not neglect the gift that has been given to you. Then he says, practice it and immerse yourself in it for the building up of the church, And so for example then, if if you think that you might have the gift of faith or intercessory prayer, what you can do is begin asking people in the church, what can I, what do you need prayer for? What can I be praying for you for? And then look to see if the blessing of God is there in your prayers. Or if it's the gift of teaching, you know, try a Bible study or a small group or some other area where you can express that gift and see if the Lord brings fruit in that. Or maybe it's the gift of healing. I know that your pastor would be overjoyed if you asked to come and pray for the sick alongside me and and see if the Lord blesses that. And one thing to be encouraged in is is know that your gift will increase the more you use it. Paul says again to Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have, but practice it. Our gifts grow in strength and effectiveness the more we use them. Think of the gift of evangelism. If that is your gift, you will grow the more you use it. You'll become more knowledgeable of, of what to say and how to say it. You'll, become, you'll find better ways to enter into conversations. You'll, you'll know better how to defend and, and proclaim the faith. And the more you practice, the more you grow in the gift. And then lastly, it's the responsibility of the church, especially the leaders of the church, to make opportunities for members of the church to practice their variety of gifts. It, not, it may not be intentional, you know, but our church can really devalue a gift of the Spirit by not giving opportunities to express it. And so I encourage you then, if, if you think that you are gifted and, and water is being thrown on that fire in your life, please come and talk to me. Uh, and we will make sure that that is no longer a thing. See, the Lord has, has really blessed, I think, the people of God here at Evergreen. I mean, I've only, on May 1st, I'll have been in this church for one year. And even in that one year, I can see that God has already greatly gifted this church. You know, our family has experienced and felt the gifts of the Spirit in your lives, imparted to us by your care and your service and your ministering to us. And I know that I'm not the only one that, that thinks this, that thinks that our church is, is gifted and, and, and cares for one another. Multiple people have come and told me, really, that this church feels like a, like a family that they've never felt uh, before. And we praise the Lord for his grace to us in that area. But I think that that is, that is just the beginning of what the Lord is wanting to do through Evergreen Chapel. Now as Amos says, I'm I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I know, I know because God promises it that if we make it our effort to continue to seek the building up of the church, if we make it our effort to earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit, if we continue to seek the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is going to be faithful in the building up of this church, and the building of his kingdom through the ministry and the gifts of the saints here at Evergreen Chapel. And so let's pray now together. Dear Lord, we thank you for not only the gifts of the Spirit that we see, but also, Lord, for the greatest gift, that of the Spirit and your Son. Lord, that he comes and, and he dwells Within us, and He empowers us to do what it is You have called us to do. Lord, we are so thankful that when You tell us, go and make disciples of all nations, that we do not have to do that on our own. That when You say, go and care for the orphan and the widow and the sick, Lord, that we do not have to do that in in our own strength. Lord, that when You say, go and overcome the powers of Satan and his demons in this world, Lord, that that is not on our own or by our own strength, that you have given us the gifts of the Spirit to accomplish your mission and your will here on this earth. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that expresses those, Lord, that earnestly desires them. Lord, we ask you now, as a church together, Lord, fill us with the Spirit. Lead us, Lord, that we may be a church that ministers for the glory of your name and for the building up of the body. And we pray all of this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.